You are listening to Healthy Voices Radio, where you will hear podcasts featuring stories from our Healthy Voices family, hosted by amazing advocates, interviewing amazing advocates. Now, here's your Healthy Voices Radio host, talking all things health-related, Robert Brining and Brady Dale Morris. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to Healthy Voices Radio. I am one of your hosts, Robert Brining. Of course, I am joined by the fabulous Brady Dalmaris. Hello, Brady. Hey, Robert. How is it? How are you today? I am great. After a long day of work, I feel like I'm ready to get some information from this amazing woman we're about to speak to. I'm telling you, I'm so excited to be rounding out our season today with Kamaria. Um, she is so fantastic. Uh, she is part of our, our tribe, so I'm very much looking forward to, to speaking with her. And before we get too much into that interview, let's get some of the housekeeping out of the way. We want to let everyone know Healthy Voices Radio is produced and sponsored by Jansen, the founder of Healthy Voices, a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online health advocates. For more information on Healthy Voices, please visit HealthyVoices.com. Follow us um, on Twitter and Instagram at Healthy Voices. Uh, you can find out more about this podcast and future uh, Twitter chats, webinars, and then also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you can do so either on Blog Talk Radio, Spotify, uh, Google Play, or iTunes. And then next, real quick, we will um, go over our disclaimers for the day. Um, if you need medical advice or have questions about your treatment or condition, we urge you to speak with your doctor as we cannot provide medical advice. Also, as a reminder, per regulatory guidelines, we are not permitted to discuss any medications or products during today's episode. Information posted in our chat room is shared in a public capacity. Uh, we will not be posting or sharing any personal or confidential information, not wanting to be known by others. Um, do not post or share any personal information about another person. And then Jansen paid for us to host and produce this podcast episode and series. All thoughts expressed here are our own. All right, and now with that out of the way, Robert, tell us more about this amazing woman that we know as Kamaria. Oh, my Lord, Kamaria, Kamaria, Kamaria. Just the name itself is something that um, is a title, so that just tells you about how strong and dedicated this woman is. Uh, I met her a few years ago. Uh, I don't remember the first time. I want to say it may have been at Positive Living, um, and I just remember connecting with her. Actually, I think maybe the first time we really met may have been Healthy Voices. Now that I'm thinking about it, may have been the first time I actually had one-on-one -on -one conversations with her. And um, gotcha. through the, the last two years, you know, we've grown to become a tribe mates. We're both a part of um, Positively Fearless campaign with Jansen. And uh, we've become a lot closer over the years. And I have to say that, you know, I consider her like a sister. I know we don't speak all the time, but I could always call her up for a prop, you know, for anything that I have, and I could speak to her without, without a question. You know, she'll have Absolutely. questions, but I won't have any questions. You know what I mean? But right. she, well, that's what you call she, family. She, any, anyone, yes. that you, anyone that you're not in contact with every day, but you could just call up at any moment and be like, hey, here's what's going on, and they will stop and listen and, and help you through it. That's family, and that's exactly what Kamaria is. Yeah, so let me read a little bit of her bio here. Uh, Kamaria, is, Kamaria is living with HIV and black girl magic 
and lives life out loud as an advocate, speaker, and consultant. Her current focus is working on HIV justice to change laws that criminalize people living with HIV. Since her diagnosis, her personal goal is to work through her developing community-based organization, Empowered Legacies, and provide tools that will help communities towards embracing healing, giving inspiration, and living victoriously beyond their diagnosis. And again, like I said, she is a proud, positively fearless ambassador. So please help me welcome our friend, Kamaria. Hey, hey everybody. Girl. How you doing? We're good. How are you? I'm good. It's Friday. <laughs> it is Friday. It's Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. <laughs> Not only Friday, but it is the beginning of a, of a three-day weekend for many. So happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone. And so... Uh, Kamaria, tell us, um, to get right into it, there's so much to talk to you about, um, so I want to get right into it. Um, Tell us about the day of your diagnosis. So the day of my diagnosis was probably um, like an autopilot day full of, you know, just confusion. Um, I had just given birth to my daughter uh, maybe two weeks before I got the phone call. I didn't go in for, like, any special tests. I didn't ask for an HIV test. I was pregnant, had my daughter, no prenatal care. So the follow-up um, was my doctor calling me in, telling me to stop attempting to breastfeed. And so that was pretty much all the information I got until I got to the doctor's office. And I'm just thinking all kinds of things except what they were going to tell me. And so she sat me down and said, because you had no prenatal care, we had to test you for everything. Your daughter tests positive because every baby is born with their mother's immune system. Right. And uh, it takes them six months to a year to, like, build up their own. So that's, that's how they told me. I, was, I became a mom and HIV positive within two weeks. And then it took a year for me to find out that my daughter um, – did not um, seroconvert, so she's negative, and wow, that was like the, yeah, that was like the birthing, pun intended, of, right. um, <laughs> of my decision to, you know, start, I didn't know it was called advocacy, I just wanted to, I didn't want anybody else to go through what I had gone through. Absolutely, and, and I can, you know, I can mirror that, and I believe that's how a lot of us actually get started is, it's when we are, are faced with a, a life-changing diagnosis. Um, you can either throw over and give up, or you can either fight. And, and so that's what some of us do. That's what we do is we, we pick up the baton and we go and fight and, and speak up for those who, who can't speak for themselves. Um, so, so you say your own diagnosis and wanting to be involved, that's what kind of fed and, and began your advocacy work? Yeah, definitely. It was it was a lot of um, trying to figure out um, what that looked like for me and looking at my community. And this was 2003, so Google wasn't like it is now. Right. And, <laughs> right. Um, I couldn't find anything that really looked like me. So my goal was just to find single moms, women of color that were young. I was 21 at the time that were young that were talking about it. And where I live, it just wasn't happening. So I said, I'll just be the person then. Absolutely. Be the change. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. 
And I now, know Kamari, that if you had told me, sorry, if you had told me then what I, that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I would not. I would laugh at you so hard and have a lot of questions. Absolutely right, <laughs> right, right. No, I get. I, I, I do the same all the time. I, I sit in, in rooms and look around and just think about like five years ago. You know, there's just no way I would have ever considered or imagined being here. So I totally understand, and I think other feather fellow health advocates totally understand what you were saying. Um, Barbara, what were you about to say? I was just going to ask, Kamaria, were you somebody who was always open, um, kind of like able to speak in public, like growing up in school and things like that? Because I know for me, I had the fear, I had a fear of it forever. And it wasn't until after my diagnosis that I actually kind of got the courage to really open up. So, yeah, it's the same for me. Like, people don't believe me now, but I am still very, very shy. I just manage it differently. Um, Right. If I have an opportunity to be the quiet person in the room, I'll take it. Uh, but a lot of folks don't know that side of me. But growing up, I, you hardly knew I was in the room because I didn't say much. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. It's, uh, you know, the, the diagnosis kind of just sparks something in you um, and, and, and kind of takes that fear away because there's something, I guess, bigger, you know, a, a bigger purpose that you're working towards and then just, you know, sharing a project in school and things of that nature. So when you found out you were positive, who was the first person you told? Well, my mom was there that day. She had to drive me to the appointment. So she was the first person I told. Um, I wasn't forced to, but I kind of knew I couldn't leave that space without her knowing why we had to go to this unscheduled doctor's appointment and why my doctor was in tears and I just had an attitude. Like, I didn't give anybody a reaction. I just sat there. And um, my doctor was crying. So I was like, I don't have time for this. I got a kid to right. take care of. But, right. you know, I told my mom, and she went into instant prayer mode. She just started praying and telling me I was going to be okay. And everybody was telling me how, how great my life was going to be, like I wasn't dying or anything like that. But I didn't hear any of that. I just heard, you know, stigma. Like, I didn't know that's what I was hearing, but I was just processing all of what I knew about HIV, which wasn't pretty, and um, thought my life was over, but my mom, she was like my instant, you know, rock in that that moment. So I'm grateful that she was there with me. I don't know what I would have done if I had been there by myself. um, Well, Kamaria, Kamaria, I'm interested. Uh, You said... um, I was going to ask you, you know, what you knew about HIV before your own diagnosis, and you said what, what you knew wasn't pretty. Um, explain that to our listeners and, and what it means so what it meant to you. What it meant to me was growing up in a really sheltered upbringing, um, it meant that, and I, I feel horrible saying this, but this was my mindset, you know, that's those people in Africa's problem because that's the only concept I had of AIDS or HIV. Um, it was orphans in Africa. It was a gay white man's disease and Magic Johnson. Um, those were the only right. three references I had. So right. when I realized I don't fit any of those categories, I instantly just assumed, well, that means death for me. So um, it was it was interesting to, to go into a – to come out of my, my – um, shock of the diagnosis and learned so much that 
debunked all those myths and perceptions I had, like, within weeks. I was like, why aren't people teaching people, the general public, this, that this is not accurate information? Um, or if, even if it was accurate at one time, that that's not what HIV looks like today. So that's, like, why I love Healthy Voices, why I love being around other advocates, because we are walking, living, breathing um proof that you know HIV is not a death sentence and it's not the end of the world. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. And and, and I just think it's important to point out that you know with with HIV comes it's with, with you alluded to you know all the stigma um but part of that also being you know with the of virus uh, here in the United States it was seen as a as a gay man's disease. And, and unfortunately, now today we are seeing more women becoming positive. Um, we're seeing it in, in people who choose to in, who inject drugs, um, mm-hmm. and so so the, and and like you alluded to as well, breastfeeding. There's all all these other aspects that that you know where stigma came kind of came into play with your diagnosis. Have you have you? Where did you go? I mean, like you said, you didn't you didn't have Google back then. Where did you go for information? So it was it was a lot of um, trial and error. I was a part of a um, as a single mom, I was assigned a case manager through Healthy Families, and uh, the case manager came to the house. And before she sat down, I was like, "Oh, by the way, I'm HIV positive." She didn't blink. She didn't flinch. She just said, "Okay, thank you for telling me." And she sat down. And when she went on with the appointment, at the end of the appointment, because it was literally her job was just to be there to see how my child is developing and to check in and make sure that I'm okay as a mom. At the end right. of the appointment, she turned to me and she says, I need to ask you what made you feel like you had to tell me that you're HIV positive. And so I started crying. I was like, because, you know, I have to tell everybody. Like, it's you can't just be in my space. Like, I didn't know how to articulate why I felt compelled to tell her. I just knew I had to. And she was like, who are, who is your medical, you know, team and care? At the time, I had a private... ID infectious disease doctor who was terrifying. So anyway, long story short, she got me connected to the specialty care clinic through our health department locally. So she's who I went to, and she's who got me connected to adequate care, people that had information, people that were doing community outreach, but they needed my voice to kind of compel people to get tested. So I did that volunteer work for a good three and a half years before I ever actually became public public with my status, like in the newspaper public. So it was, it was my local like people that, that it was people that, that gave a damn, honestly. Like she didn't have to ask me. She didn't have to give me any information. You know, she could have assigned me to somebody else out of stigma, but she, she gave a damn. So that's, that's how I got started. That's amazing. So what was the response when you started? Like, um, you know, did you start blogging first? Or, or so, just... Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I forgot about that. I actually was on MySpace. And, God, MySpace. Oh, remember MySpace? MySpace. <laughs> MySpace. We're going way back. Yeah, me and Tom, you know, Tom, our best friend Tom. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I, I blogged there on national the day on February sixth. I posted, "Do you know why February seventh is so important to me?" And um, I let people like comment and guess on why it was important. Nobody had a clue what that day was. 
And um, the next day uh, was the day the local paper came out with my story. And so I posted, you know, this, this whole thing of, like, from step one of the guy I met, how I got it, all this stuff in this big blog. And um, it was National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, which is why I chose that day because it was significant for me. Right. And the amount of, like, I was prepared for, like, people to start bullying me and, like, making fun of me or telling me how gross and disgusting I was. The love and support that I got from people that I hadn't heard from in years was a little um, little unnerving. Like, I just wasn't expecting it. And if it hadn't been for that initial reaction, I don't know if I would have necessarily pushed through and been more vocal. Um, but the response is always, well, I shouldn't say always, but the majority of my response when I tell people publicly, you know, that I'm living with HIV and this is what I want to do about it has always been really supportive. There has been some folks that have come out at me left and I've had to come at them with a right and give them some information about truth and, <laughs> right. and let them know, like, you know, be mindful of who you're talking to. But, uh, you know, that's, that's with anything. But I, I think because I choose to walk with positivity and I choose to walk in truth, people tend to not come at me with foolishness. Um, so I, I, I definitely, you know, respect um, those that push beyond stigma that do face it every day a lot. But I have to say I, I haven't, in the past 10 years, haven't experienced a lot of people, like, mistreating me because of it. But my fight continues because I know people still face that, and it's still – Disclosure and just you know just talking about your status is a personal choice and it's difficult as hell. Like it's not an easy thing to do. Right. So how? So you talked a little bit about um, I guess disclosing uh, to to people or when you're speaking to individuals. Um, what about dating? Were you already married when you were um, you know when you were diagnosed or? Did you have to go oh, through God, that process no. of like disclosing, you know what I mean? Like disclosing to somebody on a yeah. date, like did you have to go through that? And how was that process for you? Cause I'm sure, I mean, it's difficult for anyone living with HIV. And of course, Brady and I, we, this, you know, this is close to us, you know, we're both living with HIV and, you know, this is kind of where we started our activism at and um, dating and just disclosing is so difficult. And so many people, you know, have issues. What are maybe some uh, pointers that you would maybe give, or or some reactions that you've had from people? So I'll. <laughs> so no, I was not married. Yes, I totally had to go through dating and disclosure. I um, there's one gentleman that we were dating. I guess we were dating. I know what he wanted from me, and I know that I was not ready for that yet because I hadn't told anybody dating wise, but I was romantically interested in. You know, that I was living with HIV, I wasn't ready for that level yet, but um, I knew I wanted to tell him. So I, every night when I would come over to his house, he was like, you know, being persistent about being physical and having sex and doing extra stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not ready for that. I have something to tell you. And it was it was hilarious in hindsight because he kept thinking like the most ridiculous Jerry Springer type stuff. He was like, oh, <laughs> you're married or, oh, you um you're a guy or you're really like <laughs> doing like he just had like all funny. Jerry head. Springer type and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, it like, was just bizarre. Like I'm looking at him, I'm like, really? Like, no, no, it's not that. I finally told him and he started crying and I was sitting there like we're sitting on the edge of his bed 
and he's crying. And I'm like, I, this is not, I was not ready for this. And he was crying because every night I would leave after I told him no, he would call up another chick and have sex with her. And in my head, I'm like, had I not told you and slept with you anyway, you'd be putting other people at risk. So that's why he was, like, completely un- unnerved and, and in tears. Wow. And it was that moment that taught me, like, even when I am okay with this person, like, I never know what other people's intentions are. I never know what they're going to do. So, like, this is a two-way right. street. This isn't just on me. So right. um, pointers and tips to that is just, be sure, like, who you want to disclose to is, like, the right person. I mean, I know, like, there wasn't, like, Tinder and Grinder was not a thing back then when I was dating, so I don't know what that life is like right now, but um, <laughs> definitely don't disclose until you're ready because it's just you never know what someone's reaction is going to be because I was in his apartment by myself with him. I don't know what he – I'm grateful that was his reaction, but it could have gone left really, really quickly. So, yeah. Well, then, Kamari, I would like to – I want to talk about real quick. You know, because of these positions that just by our own just being positive, HIV positive, these situations that we find ourselves being put in um, due to the stigma of HIV, it, it kind of makes our forces to have to educate educators because the only way to to end stigma is through education and like you said standing in your truth and standing in your power mm. um where did your act or advocacy go from blogging because you know was positive women's network next or, or or did you begin working for Cero first oh that was no there was a lot of other stuff in between i, I did a lot of public speaking awesome. and going okay. to conferences so i'm like i'm a conference junkie like <laughs> Conference queen. Like being, yeah, yeah. So, so when I'm here, you you began networking, you began networking. A lot of, a lot of networking because I knew that I was I didn't feel even though I was public speaking I didn't feel completely equipped to speak on the topic of HIV except from my lived experience. But I knew there was more information that people were looking for, and I couldn't give that until I received it. So I had to go out and find it. And put myself in spaces where people that had been doing this much longer than me, you know, were, were pouring into me and giving me information. So I did a lot of Positive Women's Network. I did some work with the Women's Collective in D.C. I've done some, some uh, agency work with the Office of Women's Health. I've done a couple USDAs. And then that, that kind of helped build my skills, add it to my lived experience to um, join the Positive Women's Network as a as a policy fellow, um, I want to say the year before last, I was the first class from that initiative, and I think they're in their third cohort. And then uh, in ex- that explain process, explain real quick, Mari, what is what is a policy oh. fellow? What is a policy fellow? So a policy fellow, yeah. So I think, and I'm I'm probably wrong on the timeline that we were we had, but I want to say we did a 12 month um, virtual intensive um, uh, skill building. Uh, program where it's all focusing on on, on policy um, from your national, local, and well, national, statewide, and local government. So every week, I want to say, or every month, no, I'm sorry, every month, we will have like a special guest come in from a different agency and explain to us how different levels of policy work and how certain issues are impacted by um how your local um, issues can be impacted by federal decisions as we are 
seeing, you know, if you just look at any headline today, you'll see, like, any decision that's being made in the White House is directly having an impact on your local and your statewide government. So it was right. a year-long event, and you had, like, I want to say there were 12 other women, um, women living with HIV and women of trans experience that were all a part of this fellowship, and we had teach back, so we had to, like, repeat back what we learned to our fellows, and then we graduated with certificates, and we did a um, practicum at the end of our year-long uh, session where we kind of had to create our own, like, you could create a database, you could create a support group, you could create a, um, a white paper, which is a um, kind of like a summary of a legal issue that you um, put out for, for different, um, if you're part of a coalition, like, you could create a white paper on treatment adherence, and you'll have medical gotcha. um, folks you know, add in information. So you create all these different things um, showing basically what you learned from your time as a fellow. So that, so that that's amazing. I was going to say, so that, that then gave you the, I guess you could say you were collecting receipts. I mean, like you said, you already had your lived experience, <laughs> but you went out and started collecting receipts on it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I was definitely collecting receipts. And was, uh, also, uh, attending the HIV is not a crime training academy. So I was gathering all this information and then um, wanted to do more specific work in Florida um, where I, I was looking at laws that were written in 1986 that were completely outdated and unjust and people were still being charged under them. And uh, the CERO Project is a national organization that works on um, fighting uh, for people that are being unjustly prosecuted at the network of people live on HIV fighting for justice. And I right. worked with them as, um, as a community organizer for Florida. And then most recently I became the Southern engagement coordinator working full time and doing what I've done in Florida and other Southern states as well. Um, Kamara, real quick, something you just touched about. Um, you said HIV criminalization and we've, we, talked about it in your bio and a lot of our listeners may not understand that yeah. people living with HIV that there are laws that exist simply because we have a virus can can you explain some of your work in in trying to modernize these laws and why they exist yeah so um I, I, I'll try to think of a short way to say it um so right yeah every so can. State, <laughs> but a lot of a lot of states have laws that are written in the early 80s mid 80s um Basically, forcing, well, not forcing, but penalizing people um, for, remember, these are written in the 80s. So it's, the law is telling people they have to disclose their HIV status um, to their sexual partners. And if they don't, then they can receive, depending on what state you're in, five years to 50 years um, of, uh, of a sentence um, and, with, and or with a fine. Where in many states, wow. that's just for HIV disclosure. So that's in many crazy. states, the same laws exist for STDs, but the penalty is much, much lower or non-existent. So in Florida specifically, you can get up to five years for HIV non-disclosure just because someone says you didn't tell them your status. The no prosecutor proof. does not look for proof. The prosecutor does not look to see if you're virally suppressed or undetectable. They don't look for any information. They just go off of this one person or two people saying, oh, so-and-so never told me their status. They don't even look if transmission occurred. They don't even look to see if that person has HIV as well. So, wow. so right. that's the way the laws are currently written. 
So we, there are many advocates working tirelessly um, to change these laws in different states in Iowa, California, Colorado, North Carolina have been Tennessee. very successful. Oh, Tennessee, successful, yes. yes. I'm sorry. No, but no, but you're talking about successful, successful ones. Yes, Tennessee has not been successful yet, but um, yeah, they're in that fight. You said even um, laws are, are being used for people in cases of spitting, in which we know that spitting yep. is not even a, 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 a mode of transmission for HIV. Um, and, and like you said, it's yep. also these, these laws are really a lot of he said, she said, or he said, he said type laws. And, and as soon as the accusation is made, those of us living with HIV are, are immediately um, on the defensive to have to prove our innocence. Right, and um, yeah, all the burden, the burden of proof is all on the person living with HIV. I mean, everything is, is on us to keep the whole world safe, and nobody thinks about the, the other side of that. It's like, who was looking out for the person who's negative? Like, who, it's a two-way street. Like, there's everybody has to be responsible on some account, but when it comes down to these laws, they're unjust. Like, they're just flat out not based on current science. They're not based on whether, you know, transmission occurs or not, and it's just not doing anyone any public health favors, to be honest. It's costing taxpayers some extra money to put people in jail because of, like you said, he said, she said, or he said, he said type of situation. Right. That's crazy. That's why it's so important that you you do the work that you do and, 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 and do it so well. I mean, if it wasn't for people like you and Robert and Tammy and – uh, there's other names, Monique. I can't even think of other, uh, a whole bunch of others, you know, behind it and Brady and everybody there who are are involved in this because you, you know, we all have our niche and not everybody is able to go in and do the certain things that Kamari does or the certain things that I do or, or Brady. And I think that's why it's so important that we kind of all come together and work as a group and, and kind of then go out, you know, we come together in healthy voices and then go out to the world and, and, and find our niche and do our own little activism. But each part is just as important as the other and I just want to thank you Kamaria for doing all the hard work around that because it's tough yeah I call it I call it hard work instead of hard work because um, you have to I have a that. heart for it like I said everybody has their own thing that they're good at and I tell I promise you on a stack of Bibles you could not have told me four years ago that what I'm quote unquote good at or really passionate about is policy work because I just didn't I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that was, but it is definitely something that I'm grateful to be a part of. Um, and it's not just about changing the laws, but it's also empowering other people living with HIV to be able to speak to legislators, like something that's super intimidating for some folks because some people are just civically engaged by voting, which is super important. But to know right. you can go beyond that step and actually talk to the people you vote for or talk to the people you didn't vote for, um, just that process alone is also a huge piece of policy advocacy and building building relationships with elected officials is definitely an important piece of that. That is amazing. Uh, yeah, that is amazing. Kamari, um and I know that you've even like gone to you've even gone to DC, right? Uh, you've even done done this on a federal level, not just state state level. Um, so I haven't, well, I've been to D.C. just for the, um, 
the AIDS Watch Conference that AIDS United puts together every year. So we do meet with our Congress folks, and we talk to them about the federal issues. And I guess I, I don't, because it's not a frequent visit and it's not a frequent interaction I have, I feel like I'm not as impactful <laughs> with on that level, but I do enjoy the experience of being able to meet with either the Congress folks or their legislative um, staff. So, yeah, I do enjoy that. I was just there, and uh, I want to say it was the end of March, beginning of April. Um, that was a pretty awesome experience. Uh, for the first time, we had the CDC director um, come in and speak to us. So that was an enlightening, eye-opening, engaging experience. Um, and I do I do enjoy um, the conversations on the federal level and seeing how how I can be at the state level and make a difference. That's awesome. Well, Kamara, I'm kind of curious. Also, when you were um, talking about the modernization of laws and some of the things that aren't taking into account uh, when these laws were written, and that but just advancing science today, um, for our listeners, I, I love to educate people. Um, but you, you mentioned having an undetectable viral load. Can you explain why that's important and, and what that means mm-hmm. today? Yeah, so having an undetectable viral load means that you cannot transmit the virus. If you're on your medical treatment for six months or longer, you cannot transmit the virus onto someone else. And in context of the way these laws are written, that is monumental because if I cannot transmit the virus to someone else, then that means there's no risk for someone else to um, contract HIV, which negates that he said, she said, and she said, she said, and whatever. You know, it negates someone be able to come back and say, oh, they never told me their status um, because there was no risk if someone's virally suppressed. So that's on, you know, on a legislative level, that's how impactful that is. But then on a personal level, it's just, it's just a powerful advancement to advocacy and to science to be able to empower and encourage people living with HIV, the importance of taking your treatment. And, I mean, the importance of taking your treatment has always been priority because you'll live longer. But then adding this other piece of not only are you living longer, but you're not a risk to anyone. You're not like this danger to society as right. society has and media has stigmatized us to be. That like lifts this burden and this cloud of shame and darkness mm. off of people to be able to be more free and live their lives as intended instead of always second guessing who 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 they can share with and who they can trust and how they can operate and show up in their own in their own lives and, and, and building relationships and things. So it, it goes it's it's impactful all all around, all over, not just a legislative piece, but also just on the individualized person living with HIV piece. Viral suppression, U equals U is super powerful. Right. And I and I don't and I'm that's one thing too that I don't think well that I really want to get across to our listeners, just how I mean I mean, it was in 1994 when when antiretrovirals were were introduced onto the market, and and began our loads, you know, become to uh, undetectable. We had we didn't know what that meant, but now to know that that people who are on effective treatment cannot sexually transmit HIV, um, that's monumental. And and like you said, we've seen like a huge surge in, in new advocacy. Because of this message, um, we're seeing uh, people who've wanted families but couldn't do so because of you know costly medical intervention. People are having families now, and it's it's just been amazing to see um, you know 
but we need to disseminate this message because not everyone living with HIV even knows this information right now. True. That is very true. Which is and that's why, why it's like so important that we still talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like it's super important that even even those of us that are operating within this space and we know this stuff inside and out and we talk about it every day, it's so important that um, whenever we're in a space where we think someone may not know that we have to bring it up. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Kamaria, tell us a little bit about your nonprofit. And so, um, the, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so it really it started from a faith-based um, piece. So I was looking at the red campaign, and I don't know if you remember, but the red campaign, like, will take words and add red at the end and put mm-hmm. it in parentheses. And when I first started my advocacy, I titled myself Misempowered, and I put red at, at the end in parentheses. And I was like, oh, that's cute and everything, but how can I take this further? And Misempowered just only groups in young women, which is at the time what I was, and that's who I talked to, but I wanted to help everybody. So I was um, sitting down with a friend, and we were just looking at the word empowered, and I noticed the word power was in the middle of it, and Honestly, I just tapped into, like, my faith, and I was just like, you know, the power of Christ for me um, and the power of whoever for whatever else you believe in, whatever is within you that holds you, that anchors you into being able to get up every day and push through stigma and push through depression and push through any obstacles, whatever that is that anchors you every day, that there's a power in that. And in that, that helps you live beyond your diagnosis, which means you can redefine your legacy. There's there's legacies beyond HIV. There's legacies of alcoholism. There's legacies of abuse, and a lot of that I was thinking of um, just redefining what people kind of attach to one another. Like, for example, in my family, um, there's been some abuse in my family, and my cousin and I looked at our, our our parents and our aunts and our grandparents, and we're like, we don't want that for ourselves. So we're redefining what relationships look like, and we're putting our foot down about physical abuse and mental abuse, like you're not going to put your hands on me type of thing. And I was like, it it takes a lot to do that. Like it takes a lot of reflection, but I try to help people when I, when I interact with folks and they're talking to me about their diagnosis, I try to help them look at themselves as a whole and ask them one, I ask questions around who were you before your diagnosis? What hopes and dreams did you have before someone told you you were living with HIV. And, Robert, you actually helped me with that because you have a quote that you said your your dreams do not – I forgot it. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. My, my dreams, dreams are not, not infected. infected. <laughs> yeah, my dreams are not infected. Your dreams are not infected. Thank you. I'm sorry. I was about to quote a Langston Hughes poem about your dream are not, dreams are not deferred. Sorry. <laughs> I, I tap into that. I'm just like, you know, who you were before HIV doesn't disappear just – who you were before your diagnosis doesn't disappear just because you now have a viral load. So Empowered Legacies was really birthed from looking at life beyond HIV. And um, it's not quite a nonprofit yet. I'm, I'm working on the paperwork, but I'm doing the work anyway. Um, so if anybody wants to volunteer in Polk County, Florida, and help out with that, <laughs> I'm here. Um, but yeah, so it's just it's just a lot of me. Um, I do a lot of one-on-one conversations with folks, whether it's social media inboxing or I meet them at Starbucks or 
I bring them, you know, flowers or a card just to, you know, lift them up. Um, there's not a lot of uh, AIDS service organizations or community-based organizations for people living with HIV in my county. Um, literally one just opened up earlier this year. Awesome. Uh, and outside of that, it's just the health department. So gotcha. I know and there's I a think, lot of people living here, so you know, I, I want to help them. You talking about how, you're, how you, you do the one-on-one conversations, that, that shows the type of person that you are. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you are, as the Positive Women's Network, you know, nominated you in April 2019, a Shiro. Yes. You are a Shiro, right? You were the Shiro of the month, right? And I, and I firmly believe in it. It really speaks to the person that you are in your heart. You know what I mean? And who you are deep inside for you to spend and have this conversation. Because so, I'm telling you, I can't have a conversation with everybody. But I feel like you're the type of person who, who will speak to every single person who inboxes them. <laughs> right? Yeah, I um <laughs> for I, do, the most part. I do, I do. I do. I, I have to for the most part, yeah. Like I'm learning boundaries and I I have a cut off time of day, I check my inbox. Um but uh I do try to make sure I engage with folks and if they're not like living in my area, I definitely like delegate and reconnect them to someone that lives near them, you know, with permission mm-hmm. of course. Um but, yeah, it's something that uh, I don't know. It's always been, like, I guess I just have that about me, like that look on my face that people can come to me and tell me their deepest, darkest, <laughs> sometimes very troubling secrets. Um, We've talked about some it, of those. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it, honestly, it doesn't go past me. Like, it doesn't. Right. I don't have the energy to sit around talking about people. Um, so I, I value that people can trust me and mm-hmm. – I, yeah, when I think about, like, how small towns are, how people gossip, um, I had somebody gossip about me, and I called her out. I was like, you know, if you're going to talk about me, tell the truth. Like, I don't have AIDS. I'm living with HIV, and I don't want your brother because I don't even know who he is. So get your brother <laughs> straight. And, so you're gonna, you can talk about me. That's fine. Like, people are going to gossip. But uh, I know that I, I want people to know that when they come to me, it, it stops with me. So, um Thank you, well, you know, for, for recognizing that and me. Well, and then I want to just point out, you know, um, all of these attributes that, that Robert is, is, is pointing out right now, it, it had to play a, a big part in why you were chosen for this Positively Fearless campaign that, that Jansen um, has, has produced and put on. Talk about some of that, um, talk about that experience of, of what all you've gone through, through because of Positively Fearless. So being positively fearless and being a part of this campaign, I tell folks a lot, like it, it honestly, not like I was like on my deathbed, but it, it maybe like emotionally, like I was tapping into being burned out, like really exhausted with advocacy and not feeling like I was doing anything. Um, so when this campaign came along, like I was just really struggling with some, some self-doubt and some insecurities and being with, you know, with Robert, with Guy, with Jaw, with Daniel, um, and having these conversations and really, like, pulling out what does it mean to be positively fearless and how does that show up whenever you're doing your advocacy work, I have to tell people it really saved my life because I really was considering making a very drastic left turn and doing some other type of work. Like, I just wanted out. 
and this this campaign made me reevaluate that and made me see a deeper need for the community and a different conversation about HIV, um, right. especially coming from an organization, an agency, you know, such as Janssen, like, how how does that look? And it looks like hope, and it looks like power, and it looks like, you know, living living your best life, and that this campaign is um, something that I'm very, very, very proud of uh, to, to be a part of, and I'm grateful for every day, every single day I'm grateful for it. Where can our listeners go to to check it, see more about this campaign? So you can go, and I'm, I'm Robert. You're gonna have to help me out, but I want to say it's positivelyfearless.com, right? It it is. Um, let me just double check for that. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all are I'm cracking sure me it's up. .com. Yes. And then you know, uh, they're mostly on it on it's Instagram bad. is where you can catch like the the changing information, the living information. Um, sometimes we, as a, as a, as campaign or ambassadors, we'll post uh, different things from the Positively Fearless Instagram page. Um, I don't think we have a Twitter. I think it's just Instagram. Um, yeah. But there's also um, opportunities where we've partnered with Rise Up to HIV, and we've had conversations as a group on self-care and what that looks like. Um, and it's, those are really, really important conversations. We've done one with you, Robert, with um, Pause I Am Radio. Um, so it's opportunities for people living with HIV to come and, like, kind of define, like, what is being positively fearless and what does that mean for everybody differently? Because um, what it means for me might mean something completely different from Robert and John uh, right. and Guy uh, and Daniel. That's so right, true. Well, I- um, yes, it's it's been an amazing campaign. Watching everything that y'all are doing has been has been so inspiring um, for me. And um, so so Kamaria, tell me what 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 was your reaction when you found out that you were the Shiro of the month um, in April with the Positive Women's Network? What was because uh, I'm assuming it was a surprise. It wasn't something they told you, right? No, they didn't tell me. No, they didn't tell me. No. So surprise. Um, <laughs> what was it when you saw that pop yeah, up on was, your Facebook feed? Well, it was it was it was a, it's an honor and it was it's just weird. I have to be honest. It's just weird. It's it, I love it. I love that, you know, that You're so humble. Someone in the community recognized me, but it's really weird because, you know, like then people start sharing it and people start commenting and you want to say thank you, and it's like, so let me, I, I'll say it this way. I know every day when I show up in the space how I'm taking up space. I know I'm a badass. Like, I know this. But to have, mm. like, other people say it and see it on days and times where I don't see it and feel it makes it weird. So, so I have this deep respect for I found out the person who nominated me and I thanked them privately and it was just really touching, especially coming from the positive women's network. Like that's just, it was just a top, top, top notch honor. Um, so well, my congratulations. reaction was utter shock. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it's well deserved. You know, you do a lot of heart work. Right. And so, <laughs> and, and Mara, so I'm curious with all of this, with, you know, we've talked about positive women. We've talked about, Sarah, your own nonprofit, Positively Fearless. What do you do for Kamaria for self-care? You have so many irons to fire. What do you do for Kamaria for Kamaria? So 
there's um there's a couple things I do, but like today I um I I took the time I had the house to myself today, so today was just like kind of a physical self care. Like you know I did some some pampering, some masks, painted my painted my nails, and binge watched a couple TV shows. Like it was just unplugging and disconnecting for a little bit because um, throughout the work week, throughout my travels, I I I practice self care. But sometimes it also takes my self-care has to take me away from my family. So those right. time windows between trips and focus and prioritizing self-care, then my family gets a short end of the stick. So I took today to do that because it's a long weekend and I want to spend my weekend with my family and be present. And the other thing in doing that before I do any of that is I do like this mental health check-in. Like I ask, my, I ask myself, I don't wait for others. I ask myself, are you okay? Like, are you all right, girl? Like, you kind of snapped at the lady at Walmart for no reason. Like, are you all right? And I have to really sit with whatever that answer is, and sometimes the answer is no, and I honestly just have to sit still for a few minutes and try to evaluate, like, what is it? Did I eat? Did I get enough sleep? Did I break a nail and forgot about it? Like, what is what is wrong with me or what is right with me that I'm not focusing on? Because sometimes we'll know what we need to do, but we don't stop and focus on it. So I just do a mental health hey, girl, how are you doing, to myself. Instead of, I used to wait for others to ask me. Like, I knew I was a hot mess, and I would show up a hot mess and wait for someone else to ask me. And sometimes people don't because they don't see it or they don't know how to respond when they do see it. And um, that's very dangerous because then I end up building resentment and showing up angry and mad for no reason because nobody cares about me. And it's it's unfair to others. So um, that's what I do for myself. I, I just... I take a step back when I know I'm doing the most. And I, right. I always have questions, so I ask myself questions as well, Robert. Again, <laughs> you know that. Making the fingers. <laughs> uh, I have a, speaking of questions, I have one coming to us from Twitter. Um, they ask, okay. how did you, how did you uh, talk to your daughter about uh, your HIV status? So my daughter... Oh, my God. She'll be 16 this summer, y'all. I'm so in wow. my mom emotions right now. Like, she's the reason. She's the She'll real reason soon. I advocate. Like, if it, shh, let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> yeah, let's put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she's the reason I'm an advocate because um, I didn't share this. I don't have a problem sharing it. She knows. But when I found out I was pregnant, I was going to terminate the pregnancy. I was going to have an abortion. And um circumstances kept me from being able to do that, but I'm grateful that I did because I wasn't going to go get tested. So had it not been for me being pregnant with her and not having prenatal care because I was trying to hide the pregnancy, I would have never known. Now, with that being said, to keep that from being this albatross, this burden that she has to carry because she didn't ask for any of this, I talked to her very, very openly. Like, she knows my whole story. Like, even before she was conceived, she knows all my dirt. And I did that because – um. I thought I was going to die when I, you know, when I had her and they told me, I was like, well, I won't be here much longer, so let me journal everything about myself so she'll know my truth and she won't have to find out about it at some horrible Thanksgiving blow-up dinner because we all know family <laughs> are high, <laughs> and I know what family is. So, you know, I just, I just always talk to her. Now, as far as, like, her becoming an advocate, um, I don't put that expectation on her. I, we don't even have the same last name, so people can't 
whatever she chooses to do in life, she will be able to stand on her own and not be in my shadow of being this advocate that talks about something that she may not want to align herself with when she gets older. Hopefully when right. she gets older, this won't be an issue and we'll have a cure and there will be no stigma and she could talk about it all she wants to. But um, knowing what it was when she was, you know, when she was born, I just always stay very open with her, um, even about her own, like, choices that she wants to make with her body. I let her know this is your body. So when you say no, that means no. And if they don't hear you, you come get me. Like, you know, even as a young child, if just being on the playground and the kid hits her, like, you come get me and I will straighten it out. Like, I don't believe in, and you know, the the thing about if boys hit girls, oh, it's because they like you. Like, I never taught her that that was okay or acceptable. Um, I've just always been very open and real with her and always approached any questions she had at her age level. So when she came to me and asked me about condoms, before I answered her about what they really were used for, she was like seven, I asked her, well, what do you think they are? And she told me she thought they were balloons. And so instead of traumatizing her and giving her this very, you know, detailed history of what condoms were, which is what I was prepared to do, right. you know, I, I thought, well, let me, let me ask her, let me check in. Because children are super curious and sometimes their innocence is why they're asking the question sometimes they're not asking because they actually saw a condom in use or they saw somebody right. having you know sex or something so i just try to meet her where she is um and you know, she's a teenager now so she's she's a little secretive with who her friends are as far as like how important they are in her life um i don't know if there's a special person that she's attracted to right now but i wouldn't be surprised and I hope she'd come to me and talk to me about it. She says she will when she's ready. Um, so, yeah, I'm just super, super open with her. Like, we, we have some really interesting conversations. Well, what an amazing like gift that you've right given her. Lady. Yes, yeah, and what a gift. Just being that, that open, honest dialogue with your children. Um, and like you said, meeting them where they are. That's it's good advice. That makes all the difference. Yes, great advice. Great advice. Thank so, you. Um, I'm curious, what other advice would you give to, um, to someone today who's, who's newly diagnosed? Oh, wow. Uh, that question, when they're newly diagnosed, like, you know, one thing I tell folks is that however you feel, it's okay. I know sometimes people get a diagnosis and people want to comfort you and tell you not to feel sad or not to feel angry. And I try not to tell people how to feel. Like, if you're pissed, be pissed. It's like, Absolutely. Own, how, how, own how you feel. It's, it's, it's what you do with, with being pissed off. That's different. That's how you operate in that emotion. But um, just have some, try to find somebody you can talk to that you can reach out to just to say, I'm really angry and confused and I don't know how to navigate this. Or I feel really good physically and I don't know what this means for my life moving forward. Can you help me? talk to my partner can you help me talk to my family like be okay be okay with asking questions to people you trust and there are so many advocates nationwide global that um you can trust and reach out to i would like to say i'm one of them and if people are writing questions on twitter and they want to hit me up in my um the dm um under mrs underscore cam i think that's my twitter handle Uh, (laughs) i'll happily try to try to help you the best i can um but yeah just be okay with not being okay. It's 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 all right. right that like you don't have to like wake up and be like I have HIV and I'm gonna be great because 
I'm 15 and a half years in, and there are some days, even now, I'm not okay. And it's because right. I remember, like, this stuff kind of sucks. Like, I still have to take this medication, even though I feel fine. So um, it's just, you know, being honest with yourself. Just be honest. And, and it's important to stress that it's a process. I mean, there is a – it's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not one day you magically right. wake up and you're okay with everything. It just each day, as they say, it gets a little better. Right. It and it's because does. and it's because of people like you being so open and, and living your life so positively fearless um, that, they, <laughs> that they can come to and, and ask these questions and, and not feel so alone. So that's a great yeah. thing that – you and Robert and Jansen and everyone has done with with Positively Fearless and and everything. Robert, I think you had one more question. Um, yeah. In our so last my last question here. is, yeah, I know that you've attended quite a few Healthy Voices. Can you just give us a little bit of, I guess, uh, feedback of what your experience is going to Healthy Voices conference and being a part of it? Man, you can't. I'm still processing. Like I'm <laughs> okay. Healthy Voices is like the best conference in the world. And I mean, I've, I've, I've traveled the world a little bit, just, just a tiny bit. So um, I don't know how to answer that. Like, I just, when it's time to apply to go to this conference, please apply and submit a video and talk about whatever your health condition is. Because when you get accepted to go to this conference and you're in this space with, what is it, like 140 of us that come together? Um, Around that, yeah. You're, you're just you're surrounded by people that get it. Even if you don't have the same diagnosis, you're in a room with people you don't have to justify why you don't feel well. Everybody just gets it, and there's just this energy, there's this power, there's this love um, that saturates you. And re- for me, it re-energizes me. Like that, it's the perfect time of the year that it happens. It's right at the tail end a legislative session where I'm a little exhausted <laughs> from some right. of the policy work I do. So when I go to this conference, it, it rejuvenates me to, like, step back into, like, this front-line battle advocacy. Um, and then you, you come away with friends and not just the people, but, like, the, the skills that you learn there, like being able to um, articulate, you know, um, how you feel about your lived experience with your diagnosis. They offer, like, these, these workshops with patient advocates as the leaders of these workshops, how to write your memoir, how to do right. a YouTube video, how to, you know, just all these Love different them. skills that help you become a better patient advocate is, is life-changing. Like, it just helps you be a better person, and it helps, it helps living with your diagnosis not as, I don't want to say gloomy because everybody doesn't have that sense, but it just, it just shifts your perspective, and it helps navigate things just a little bit easier. Absolutely. That is true. So, Kamari, I do want to get your website out there so people can go and check you out. They can uh, go to uh, www.kamaria.org. That's K-A-M-A-R-I-A.org. And they can find all your information there, your Twitter, your Instagram, all that amazing work that you're doing. They can contact you for engagements to have you come out and speak. Um, Real quick, we have like 20 seconds. What Do you have anything, uh, an event coming up that you're going to where people can check you out? Um, yes, I will be in South Florida June 8th for Pride Lines. I'll be talking to long-term survivors about using your voice as an advocate. That's amazing. Awesome. So, um, Kamari, I was just going to say, Kamaria, thank you so much for being on today, and thank you for closing out this amazing first 
season of Healthy Yay. Voices Radio with us. It is it has been amazing, an amazing run. We're looking forward to season two. Um, so we want to tell all of our yes. listeners keep your eyes and ears open. Um, but there will be a season two coming. Um, and Woo. one thing to keep seeing more seasons after season two is we need you all to subscribe. So right now, go on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, our, our Blog Talk Radio, and subscribe to our podcast. Um, thanks to everyone listening. Robert, you want to take us out? Yeah, it's Kamaria. Thank you again uh, for joining us, and we hope that you have a great Memorial Day weekend. You too. I love y'all. Thank you so much. We love, love you, you too, Kamaria. So there you have it. For more information on Kamaria, go to uh, kamaria.org. And um, she's just an amazing advocate, amazing mother, amazing friend. She's an amazing human being, and I think that's that what she makes. Is. Yeah, that's what makes everybody draw to her and, and like become want to be in contact and be her friend and want to hug her. And every time I see her, I want to give her a big, big hug. So again, right, thank you everybody for tuning in. I get tickled every time she says that she's an introvert because she is one of those that everyone is just <laughs> immediately drawn to yes. into, in a room. She has totally, that yeah. light about her. So, so thanks again, everyone. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. And like I said, look out for season two. Yep. And um, here is uh, Hope is True from our friends at the International Pain Foundation and Barbie. <laughs>